Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 270 for August 31st, 2015. On today's show, Shannon is waxing philosophical about his love for hand tools. But before we get to that, we'd like to thank a few special donors, Miguel Estrada, Eric Wirt, and David Watson. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for helping us out. And you can support the show, too. If you go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in that right-hand column, and you'll see the donation links there for a one-time or small recurring donation, however you want to do it. It's all perfectly fine with us. And a quick reminder, we are still on vacation until September 14th, in fact, so this show will not be in the typical format you're used to. But as always, our goal is to provide you with woodworking information and inspiration, even while we're enjoying our summer break. So sit back, relax, and let Shannon talk to you about hand tools for 15 minutes. I got a question from Ryan, and he says, can you talk a little about what it is that excites you about working purely with hand tools, particularly for the more arduous tasks, such as resawing or ripping? You seem to have a real passion for the art of hand tools, and I'd be interested in hearing you talk a little about this passion and where it came from. Well, Ryan, that's a great question. And the real answer is that it comes from a lot of different places. It's not just one thing. Frankly, I love to learn new things. That's kind of a way of saying I'm really just a big nerd. And working with hand tools teaches me things that power tools never did. I'm constantly learning with hand tools. And I suppose learning is where it really all began for me. I've always been a big history buff, and it was a trip to Colonial Williamsburg where I got to see these incredible craftsmen using things like hand planes and hand saws that really excited that history buff and got him thinking about how things were made before there was electricity, before furniture and crafted items were produced in some far-off factory and delivered via drone um, from Amazon.com. Everything was produced locally at the local carpenter shop or cabinet maker shop and that tradesman produced enough for his local community and it was produced one item at a time or maybe occasionally a shop would produce a piece and you had individual piece workers but how they went about doing that and using the tools they had is really fascinating to me and even today it drives my interest in figuring out new ways of doing things figuring out uh, I should say old ways of doing things and I'm hesitant to say old ways because I'm not clinging to the past and wishing that I lived 300 years ago. Heck no. Uh, I love my iPhone. I love my modern technology. So it's not a matter of being a Luddite and wishing that things were the way they used to be. It is learning how they were done when there was no other option. Today, we have power tools and we have a lot of different ways to tackle things. And when you strip away those power tools and you go back to the way things used to be made, you start to learn all kinds of things you didn't know about wood, about sharpening tools, about how we work the tools with wedge and edge. And that is what really keeps bringing me back to the well, that excitement over learning these new things and how things were done. There's no question that it's nice to have that quiet time without the dust collector and the power tools screaming at me. I do believe that deep down 
down in our DNA, we are driven to make something. And more importantly, make something with our hands. A lot of us make stuff all day from cubicles and behind computers, but making something tangible. And when you can take that one step further and use the chisel or use a handsaw and using your own your own horsepower, if you will, the human beings about one fifteenth of a horsepower, using our one fifteenth of a horsepower to power that saw and power that plane, it makes that experience so much more meaningful to me. And I think it it sates that pardon the expression, the Neanderthal DNA that says must make fire with rock. Well, maybe not with rock, but you get the point. So more importantly, it kind of suits my pace. Working with hand tools is exactly the way I want to work. I want to be able to put on the radio and just listen to music or listen to a book and just have a quiet shot, but just the sounds that I choose rather than trying to hide from really, really loud sounds. I really enjoy working on the little details that... um, Power tools often can cover up. For instance, breaking the edge of a tabletop or rounding over the edge of the tabletop, it can certainly be done really quickly with a router, but I personally gain so much more out of using a chisel and a block plane to create that round over and adding that human touch to the piece. Hand cutting dovetails, hand cutting joinery for that matter, is uh, so much more of a pleasurable experience. And I think a lot of people would agree with me because there's a lot of folks out there who use machines to mill their lumber flat and square, and then they use hand tools for all the joinery. So that is certainly a common experience that I think most woodworkers today, now that the hand tool movement is so much more in vogue, today we can kind of agree on that. But to your question, what is it about the, I think the word you used was arduous tasks, like milling and resawing? You might be surprised when you strip away the power tools. In other words, when you when you go the full Monty, when you go cold turkey like I did, and you sell off your power tools and you don't have that other option, you start to understand efficiency and necessity. Does a board need to be perfectly flat? Heck no. Does it need to be have perfectly flat and square faces on four sides or six sides? Probably not. A lot of times what you'll find is one face and one edge flat and square to one another, or I should say flat-ish, is all you really need to build furniture. And when you start to eliminate those kind of superfluous surfaces, things become a lot easier. Ripping. Yeah, It's hard work, but it doesn't have to be. When you start to realize that's your only option and I either figure out how to make this rip more efficient or I don't woodwork at all, it's amazing how efficient you can make a rip saw by playing with the tooth geometry, by making sure your saw is sharp, by adjusting your technique so that the saw is doing the work and you're not. And these days, I'm particularly proud of my my sawing technique, my sawing ability, because I can saw for hours and hours and not you know, wear myself out because I'm letting the saw do the work and I'm not relying upon um, my puny arms to do the work. So suddenly that efficiency becomes a real big part of making the, uh, quote, arduous tasks a lot less arduous. Resawing is the same way. I built a frame saw a couple of years ago and 
I can use it and I can resell 30 inch wide planks. And I often hear when people watch those videos, I hear people say, man, you're getting quite a workout. The fact of the matter is I don't break a sweat. I'm certainly not breathing heavily because all the work is being done by the saw. And I'm really just stepping forward with one leg and stepping back with the other leg. I'm not even using my arms with that resaw. That research and that experimentation to find a saw that was pitched appropriately, had the right weight, the right tooth configuration to make that arduous resawing task effortless is really, really what excites me about hand tools. And the thing is, once you embrace this spirit of experimentation and research and trying to find the most efficient way to do things, suddenly it changes how you approach woodworking altogether. And you start to recognize every single cut you make with a plain chisel saw as an opportunity to gain a better understanding of how the wood works, how the steel that we've sharpened interacts with the wood. And I found that I've gained a much better understanding of the structure of wood. When every single cut has to be scrutinized so that you don't tear something out, you really start to figure out how those fibers interlock together. I can remember in my power tool days, flipping on a router or table saw and just kind of blowing right through an edge. And you might get some tear out or some blowout because you went the wrong way against the grain. But a lot of times the higher RPM of a tool can cover up reversing grain. With a hand tool and that lower RPM or no RPM, if you will, that won't cover that up. So now you have to start to pay more attention to the wood. In turn, I have gained such a strong understanding of wood structure and different species and how to identify working properties from one species to another that it's most definitely made me a better woodworker. And I attribute that to a passion for hand tools. Take, for instance, working on a lathe. When you chuck, say, a spindle in a lathe, you're always working across the grain. That spindle is spinning towards you, but you're holding your edge up and working across the grain. So how do we prevent that kind of fuzzy edge? Well, you alter your tool approach a little bit, and you work kind of with the grain by skewing the uh, the chisel or the gouge. Now, take away the 3,800 RPMs and the massive torque provided by a motor and add a spring pole lathe or a flywheel lathe, where with the spring pole, maybe you're getting about 90 revolutions per minute. And with a, tread, uh, a treadle lathe, the flywheel lathe, you might be able to pull 1,000 to 1,200 RPMs, depending on how you have it geared. But you have to have a sharp tool. You have to present that cutting edge in just the right way, depending upon the grain that you're working with, in order to get a tear-out free cut. And understanding that definitely improves your technique, gives you a better understanding of the wood structure, and it makes you a better woodworker. Higher RPM can cover up bad technique, frankly. So now when you're working with 115th horsepower and you're learning all this stuff about wood structure because of how you're working, you'll be surprised how open you become to absorbing feedback from the tools. A, a good example is chatter. If you've ever worked with a plane and it kind of vibrates on you, or I find this really relevant with something like a spoke shave, where you don't have nearly as much mass and you can feel that blade cutting a lot easier than you can with, uh, say, a, a heavy jointer plane or whatever. That little bit of chatter tells me a couple things. Maybe my blade isn't sharp enough. Maybe I'm running into some squirrely grain. And if I adjust, if I skew that spoke shave, or I change my angle of attack or I just change my grip, the chatter might go away or it might not until I sharpen. So that feedback is is definitely there with hand tools and you start to find yourself working with the wood instead of just machining and kind of 
blowing through the wood and powering through the wood. Another good example is the sound of a saw. Uh, if the saw starts to vibrate a little bit too much, that tells me maybe my saw is starting to get dull or maybe I'm cutting out of square or out of plumb. I'm trying to bend the saw around a a screwy cut and it's causing that extra vibration. So by altering my technique a little bit, how my saw, um, my arm and the saw are interacting with one another, I can clear up that sound and get a precise saw stroke, which takes you back to the efficiency point of things. If your technique is good and say you're sawing right to the line and perfectly plumb, it's not arduous at all. The saw is doing the work and you end up saving a lot of time when it comes to joining that edge later. One or two passes of the joiner plane on a perfectly straight and plumb saw cut, it's all you need and you're ready to move on. So it is examining the history and examining efficiency and necessity and the feedback getting from those tools that all together helps you to uncover some lost techniques like um, a a quick and easy way to lay out compound angles just by using a bevel gauge and a pencil Um, again i mentioned resawing by hand using the right saw making connecting the dots and realizing the right saw makes resawing really easy and really precise being able to peel off uh an eighth of an inch or even thinner veneers with a handsaw is a really cool thing. The simplicity of just using a wedge or using a sharp edge and how it's working the wood and whether or not we use a wedge or we use an actual cutting edge to work the the wood the way we want to. It's these little things that as you become in tune with it by working with hand tools, you start to uncover really the magic of woodworking. And, And that's really a corny statement. I apologize for that. But that's the best way I can think to describe it. You mentioned that it seems that I have a passion for hand tool woodworking, and it is this magic, these little epiphanies, the little discoveries. You start to wonder, when was the last time somebody did this? You know, was it 300 years ago? Probably not. Let's be real. There's many other hand tool woodworkers out there better than me who have made these discoveries, but it's the tiny little sensory feedback things and those moments of great clarity when you do something really quickly and really efficiently that you store away and it starts to alter how you approach woodworking. It changed the way I woodwork entirely completely redefined my shop space, what it looks like, what tooling I use, and how I go about approaching projects from the initial design and purchasing of lumber all the way down to the finish that I apply. Hand tools have just completely shaped the way I would work. And of course, I'm passionate about it because it continually forces me to learn new things and to dig a little bit deeper. If things start to get tough, I think about they didn't just you know, got through it 300 years ago, they had to make a living. If they didn't produce that piece and they had to get paid, they died. <laughs> there was no welfare or anything like that. You had to go out and, and hunt your own dinner, grow your own dinner, and you had to provide. If you couldn't, you had to come up with a trade that allowed you to get that food to feed yourself and your family. So it wasn't a matter of, man, this is hard. I'm just going to, you know, stomach it and resaw for the next six hours. Heck no. They found a better way so that they could resaw quicker. So the minute the things start to become, again, using your words, arduous, I look at it and go, I'm doing something wrong. What did they do 300 years ago in this situation to make it less arduous? And that is that ongoing learning process that makes me love hand tools. I could probably go on for a while about this topic because obviously it's something I'm passionate about. Thanks for asking. 
Raskin. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question, a topic suggestion? There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's shows or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. 